Thank you, Heather. Thank you, Dylan family, along with Tom, for leading us into God's presence. In case you're new, I'm Steve. And uh, for a long, long time, I was, my wife Darlene and I were on the church staff here, served with Carl for, uh, I don't know, seven years, I think it was, he endured me. And uh, Ron Mall over here, and among others, and, and uh, David, Pastor David, I think 25 years or something like that, back before he had a lovely wife and two boys. By the way, Caleb, are you trying to take over your dad's job? Is that? It'd be all right, ex- except I know you're, you're headed off to college in the fall, so uh, we'll let your dad stay here, I think. Well, we'll, maybe? Yes. Yeah, I think, okay, yes. David, your job's secure, according to the lead pastor, so. Anyway, we are in Hebrews 11 in this series that uh, has been going on for a while. It's been rich. And uh, chapter 11 is a long chapter that's sort of simple in a way. It's all about one single thing, namely faith. Faith. And I wonder what kind of faith you have today. I'm rather certain that um, you have some. Every human being has faith. It's just an issue of what is it in and what's it for. And what are you going to do with that faith? Small example, as far as I know, when you came in, you had faith in these chairs. You didn't just believe that these chairs would hold you up. You actually entrusted your body to them. You trusted them such that you sat down. Sue and I are the only ones that are now not trusting the chairs. They're actually we're up for different reasons. Some of you remember, if you've been here around here, oh, nine years or so, the original chairs we had in this room, the blue chairs, these blue chairs were cheap. The cheapest thing we could find out there, I mean, we had this big mortgage back in 1997, so we just bought whatever would, we thought would hold people up. Well, here's, here's the thing. Um, they didn't always hold us up, so... <laughs> The, the, the good thing, the good thing was that uh, every time the seat between those metal frames would break, the manufacturer would send free ones. That was a really good thing. The bad thing is we had to put in a lot of orders. I remember once we had a guest speaker. Well, it was Don Payne from Denver Seminary, and he was sitting next to me right over here, and I heard this crack and all of a sudden, Don was sitting six inches below the frames. <laughs> Thankfully, he laughed, but it was kind of embarrassing. And I will say that uh, I learned that frequently I would sort of test the seat before I sat down. I didn't totally trust those chairs. Now, most chairs, most chairs I trust. But the question is, for what? I trust chairs for sitting on them, most of them. I don't trust chairs for, say, a mutual loving relationship. Now, I've got my favorite chair at the house, but I wouldn't say we're intimate, okay? Now, for the sake of a loving relationship, I do trust this lady right here. Best thing that's happened in my life next to Jesus. I trust her. I really do for her faithful love. 
I will say, I do not trust her, my tiny wife, to carry me down a mountain if I break my leg on a hike. Sorry, I just don't think you're up for that. <laughs> right? So, uh, the, here's what I'm trying to say. The meaning and the power of any kind of faith lies not in itself, but in what you're placing the faith in. Okay? And what it's for and what you're going to do with it. And here in Hebrews, when it talks over and over and over about faith, it's talking about a loving relationship, the most important one imaginable, and that's with Jesus. A faith from, in, and with God in his son that we know is Jesus. That's largely what this document, this letter, sermon, whatever we finally call it, to the Hebrews is all about. You, as we've seen in the first several chapters, there's this exaltation of Jesus Christ as the greatest. He's the greatest of all time. He's the goat of all goats. Uh, He's greater than, you see the first few chapters, he's greater than God's prophets. He's greater than God's angels. He's greater than the sacred Sabbath. He's greater than the mighty leader Moses. He's, he's greater than Israel's priestly system. Uh, he's the greatest, and when it comes to any kind of faith that has any kind of ultimate value, it needs to be in him. God giving himself in his son. Uh, and we place faith, we believe in him, uh, not just because we're supposed to do it, somehow to impress God. It's, uh, it, it's not just to put on a, a show. It's not merely to get out of hell and get into heaven. It's a way of life, as we see in this chapter. It's a dependence upon him such that it's through faith, kind of simple faith, put in Jesus Christ, that's our access to the kind of hope we need, the kind of strength we need, the kind of peace we need, the kind of purpose of living a life of love that the world so desperately needs. It's faith in him. So let's look directly at Hebrews, just with that little bit of background. It starts out this way. Now faith, kind of a definition. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And then a quick example, we, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Now what follows in this long chapter is example after example of people of faith. Uh, the ancients, as the author talks about. So we've got Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and his wife Sarah. Uh, we have Isaac and Jacob Joseph, the parents of Moses, Moses himself, at least when they're at their best, the people of Israel, the prostitute Rahab, and then verse 32, what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets, and then it goes on to to describe all sorts of nameless people who are commended for their faith, these so-called ancients. We get all these stories reference to stories. But as one example, I'm not going to read through the whole chapter, but one example is Abraham, often called the father of faith. Let's look at this example. By faith, Abraham, 
When called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Now, just for a minute, we're going to go back to a few of these stories a little bit, but uh, let's just go back to the first verse, this sort of a definition, at least partial. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Yeah, I mentioned that everybody's got faith. Well, also, I would say everybody has some hope, some kind of hope some kind of longing, and where it's most intense is a longing for something we don't yet see, we haven't as yet experienced. And, and would you agree that, especially when it's something that really matters in life, something that's very close to our hearts, uh, a hope that this or that will happen, like say, I really hope with all my heart that my best friend will get past this cancer, but you don't see it happening because the cancer is very advanced. Would you agree that with that kind of, that version of hope, it's hard to feel confident? It's hard to feel assurance. Anybody ever been there? What's the faith we're talking about here that has confidence and assurance? Well, again, the meaning and power of faith lies not in itself, not in what we wish for, it lies in the object of the faith. The power is not in faith, the power is in God, in Jesus Christ. And not for just what we wish, but what he promises, what he says, and what he says he'll do, what he is doing, and what he calls us to do as a way of responding. Ultimate hope, ultimate faith is is not just wishful thinking. And it's in Christ that we actually see in, in a way, in a way we see things that we couldn't see otherwise because of him and because of some kind of trust uh, put in him. Um, it's like the song. I think you probably know the, the old, old hymn. My hope is built, not on my wishes. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus his blood, his righteousness. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is what? Sinking sand. See, that's the faith that has confidence and assurance when it's resting in him and not just what we hope for and wish for. Now, this, this kind of grounding of unseen things we hope for in, by faith, it's really embedded in these couple terms. Um, I'll just get a little bit nerdy on you here. The, the word for confidence, as you all know, is hypostasis in the original Greek. And it really has the meaning of uh, hypostasis under a kind of uh, below standing, a substance, a, 
a foundation, uh, the reality, the essence of something. It's, it's used one of the time in Hebrews, the third verse of the book, where it's talking about the Son of God, his greatness, that is Christ, and how he is the exact representation of God's upostasis, God's substance, God's reality. It's translated God's being, the reality of this eternal, ultimate being. Christ represents him. And so this word is not just a subjective feeling of being confident. I've mustered up this kind of feeling, but it's, it, it, it's what you're trusting in, this substance, this reality of nothing less than the Son who's the exact representation of the eternal God. Uh, I don't think I've ever said this in 40-some years of preaching, but I think here maybe the King James Version, remember the King James Version? I think it got it right. It says this, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The substance is what God in Christ has promised, what he's done, the finished work of Christ. It's the evidence, and that's the the other word used there. I won't say as much about that, but it it has the connotation of, of, um, of demonstration, of some kind of evidence. We don't see it, and yet there's some evidence that this is so, the stuff we can't see. And so faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase, puts it this way, this, this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. You hear what, you hear what I'm saying? You hear, you hear what the word is saying here? Uh, the faith we so desperately need for hope, for, for fueling love, and so on. It's, it's not just some subjective feeling we muster up. It's this objective reality of this man named Jesus. The evidence is reasonable that somehow he was God making himself known and reconciling the world to himself. Again, any meaning, any power, and this is a very practical thing, any meaning and power of faith that fuels hope and love, it it lies in the one we place the faith in and faith for what he has said, what he promises, and what he calls us to do, how he calls us to respond. Now, you see this showing up in this this chapter of descriptions of the so-called ancients. And by the way, that's not describing me. These people are even more ancient, basically all in the Old Testament. So a few quick observations about their faith, what I would call a real faith, that Jesus draws us into. I'll just say these four things kind of quick. The faith of the ancients, the real faith, is, is a responding, it's a believing, it's a receiving of God as he makes himself known. In other words, it's not a blind faith. It's not just a leap in the dark. Abram, Abraham had, and Sarah, his wife, they heard a distinct uh, revelation of God, a, a, a specific kind of calling, and and above all, a great, great promise. They didn't understand it all, but but it wasn't just, oh, I think maybe there's a God out there, and maybe I'll just head west and maybe see what happens. They're responding to uh, God as he reveals himself. And then 
Real faith is, is um, waiting then on the fulfillments of what God has promised. So it's, it's a response to what God has said in his self-revelation. It's not blind. On the other hand, it's not absolute certainty. Did you, did you catch that line about Abraham and what we read? He took off in obedience to God and his promises, but he did not know where he was going. You wives say, sounds like my husband. Um, maybe that's what Sarah said. But this back for GPS, no maps. God was, was distinct, head west. I'm going to give you this land, but not as clear as maybe Abraham and Sarah wanted him to be. There's a sense of waiting in trust. Um, and then, third thing here is that the faith of the ancients and real faith for us is entrusting ourselves to follow God as he promises, as he leads. It's not mere belief. You know, it's not that when Abraham got this revelation from God, he was simply being asked to sign a creed. Okay, I hear you. I believe in you. I'll sign off on this affirmation. Included that. Yeah, he believed in God, but he stepped out in faith, a faith that's real. And you, and you see this in the uh, book of James where uh, the apostle there says that a faith that's not being worked out for good is it's not real faith, it's dead. And, and, and so that's real faith. Now, real faith is also then, last thing here, is, is a kind of persevering in times of testing. It's not trouble-free. There are versions of Christian faith promoted that basically say, if you have enough faith, everything will be fine. Everything will go your way. It's often called the health and wealth or prosperity kind of gospel that has a bit of truth because it's always worth trusting God. It's always worth putting faith in him. But he never promised that if you have faith in me, you'll get everything you want and everything will be fine. In fact, Jesus, this is one of those places that you don't underline in your Bible, in the world, you're going to have trouble, he said. Count on it. You're going to have trouble. That's, that's one of the promises of Jesus. Now, thankfully, it's couched in a lot of more positive things, but, but there will be trouble. And so you, you see it in all these examples here, Abraham and Sarah. You see it in, in uh, Moses and the, just in pretty much everyone here where things got tough at times. There were tests that God allowed for his own purposes and, and their own good. That's part of real faith. Shouldn't be blown away when it's not always easy. Okay, so that, that's, that's kind of a summary of what you see in this chapter, but let me, let me add one thing that's not in Hebrews 11, but it is in the actual stories in the Old Testament of virtually all these people, and that's that real faith is an opening of doubts and failings to grace. It is not wavering free. Genuine faith from human beings, the kind that uh, is part of our declared righteous by God through our faith and enables us to live a life following him. It's, it's, it's not absolute, perfect confidence and assurance all the time. Here's what you don't read in Hebrews 11, but is very clear 
in the full stories of all these people in the Old Testament, pretty much everyone, pretty much everyone had really flaky faith at times. Pretty much everyone. Um, I was holding up the example of Abraham and Sarah. So they get this promise. What a great promise. I'm going to bless you. And you're going to have descendants. And your descendants will be a nation. And the nation will be a blessing to all nations. But it starts with one descendant. It starts, you're going to have a kid. And they said, all right, we'll act on that. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll trust you for that. But then the waiting came. And they waited. And they waited. And they waited. And after about 15 years, they thought, okay, I, I guess we, we missed something like the truth that God helps those who help themselves, which I just haven't found anywhere in the Bible. But anyway, that's what they seem to believe. And so they came up with a scheme Sarah did, the wife, who said, okay, it looks like I'm not going to have a child, so why don't you have a child through my servant? And, and so Ishmael was born. Uh, well, Ishmael was blessed. However, God said, he's not the descendant. Uh, God made it clear to Abraham, no, no, Sarah, I uh, know she's 90 years old, but she's going to have a baby boy. Uh, See, they had tried to engineer things. That was their response. They didn't think God was going to come through, so they had to do it. But then when, when God says, no, it's going to be Sarah that has the baby, remember how they responded? They, did they say, yes, we fully believe that's going to happen? No, they laughed. They each laughed. This could not be. And when ultimately a little boy came along, it's, it's a beautiful thing where Sarah's laughter of skepticism, of doubting, turns into a laughter of joy. Remember what they named the child? Isaac, which means laugh. I, I know there's some, even people in the church named Isaac. You, you could just go by laughter. Maybe that's a name choice for you. I, I emphasize this, that real faith is not wavering free, because I'll tell you what, I'm one who, who wavers in faith. Um, I don't know sometimes that I would make the Hebrews 11 list. By faith Noah, by faith Abraham, by faith Isaac, by faith Jacob, by faith Steve. Oh, no, that doesn't work. Um, I've had doubts at times. I've had times I've had trouble trusting God. Any, any, anybody with me on that? There's four of us. Okay, that's good. Um, and some of you are saying, who let him become a pastor? Well, you can fire him. Well, I guess you don't have to fire me. That already happened. But No, I'm just being honest. I, I, th I think we'd all say we have times when our faith wavers. And it's hard to trust. I do like what Frederick Buechner says, doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. <laughs> they keep it awake and moving. <laughs> doubts aren't all bad. <clears throat> doubts get you thinking. Doubts get you considering. Uh, instead of just coasting along in this kind of surface level belief. 
And, and so, sometimes the doubts are really important because we need, to, we need to doubt certain things. We've been told this or that about God, and I think we need to say, really? Because you get some half-truths. They need to be doubted. They need to be re-examined. And I tell you what, though, even, even when you're having trouble trusting what you're sure is the, the real God, here's the deal. It's only the real you with some honesty about you. It's only the real you that, that God loves, that God's going to work with, that God, God's going to transform, that God's going to empower. He doesn't love the false you because the false you is, doesn't exist. And one thing that will never, ever, ever get us opened up to God and his grace is, is um, a faith mask or playing a faith role <clears throat> or trying to put on a faith show. Now we just got to be honest. You know, I found myself praying along with a desperate father <clears throat> described in the Gospels whose boy, young boy, is demonized. And he's, he's just desperate for help from Jesus. And Jesus says, comes to them, to the boy and to this father, and says, all things are possible for one who believes. And, and what's the dad say? I believe, but Jesus, help my unbelief. I trust, but, but help where I don't trust. Help me to overcome that. And I want to tell you, friends, that the living Jesus is willing to help us with our unbelief. He's real. He's with us. He's for us. And he's willing to help us feed <clears throat> a real faith, a real trust. Now, how, does, how do we let him do that? How do, what's our move? Well, for the author, <clears throat> it's really kind of clear here. He's given all these examples of faith, and then he goes into chapter 12, and you know, back originally, I don't think he had a chapter number, you know, he was just in the flow. So he says, therefore, you know, based on everything that, that's been said here about faith and about these examples of faith, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, namely these, these ancients, these people of faith, here's, here's what you do, here's your move, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, let's run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, Fixing our eyes on Jesus. And I love this line, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. Jesus, fix our eyes on him, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Now, I'll let, I'll let Carl unpack chapter 12, I presume next week, right? So I, I won't say much more about that chapter. I'm not trying to steal your thunder, friend. But here's what I want to do. Someone out of, of Hebrews 11, a little bit out of Hebrews 10, but also other scriptures, just kind of show you three moves, three steps we can take. Um, they're not steps because they're not linear, but three things we can do to, to, feed, to feed a genuine faith in Christ. Three things. The first thing, as we, and above all, to fix our eyes on Jesus. That's the heart of it all. The, the eyes of, of our hearts in our minds, on Jesus, the first thing we practically can do is to soak up his word. Just soak in his word, his promises of the scriptures. Uh, Paul says in Romans 10, faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the word of Christ. 
It's God speaking that feeds our faith. I was in a kind of a snarl when I was back in college, a fairly new Christian, where I realized the snarl was that I was, in a way, putting faith more in my own faith than in Christ. I was putting more faith in some feelings I was trying to muster up. I was putting more faith in um, my activities. I'm getting really busy for Jesus. Put faith in that, at least indirectly, subconsciously. Uh, Putting faith, however good it was, in all the knowledge I was stoking up. And none of that was bad except it was misdirecting faith to gifts from God and not to the giver. And one thing, a practical little demonstration helped me one day, I was in college, and this guy was giving a talk on biblical faith, and what he did, he took a broomstick, and he showed how you can balance the broomstick, put the bristles up there, and put the, bo- the, the handle on your hand, and you can, you can balance it. And, and by the way, I, I didn't bring a broom, I just thought I would use David's guitar back here. <laughs> or, well, maybe not. I want to be friends with him for a while. But you get, you get the picture. Bristles up here. Try this at home. I don't think you'll get injured. And, and, and you can balance it for a while, okay? But the guy said, if you're going to do that, if you look at your hand, you're going to lose it right away. So the hand moves around to balance the broomstick, but where do you look? You look up at the bristles and followed around. And he said, real faith doesn't get obsessed with itself. It's always looking to Jesus. And it moves, but not just out of what you feel like doing it, it's following him. That's, that's real faith. And that's, that, kind of simple thing of focusing on him and practically by listening to him, by attending to him uh, through the word and other ways that he'll make himself known. It's, it's especially important when it gets hard to trust. When it gets hard to trust. I was with a friend this week and, and uh, he's just going through really complicated stuff with three, four family members. And he, he just said, I, sometimes it's hard to trust that God's going to do, be at work here with his love. And I said, I get that. Um, it's, it's, it's hard to trust God. Uh, you know, we brought this up in the prayer time, but it's hard to trust sometimes. A kid's struggling or you, you're doing things, you keep failing, it just never seems to work out. And, and like my friend, when things are just complicated, you don't know what to do. Like Carl said last week, you just know you're not in control. There's nothing you can, can do. Can you, it's hard to trust God sometimes. Well, well, what helps? I'm not saying it's some kind of magic, but what helps? What's helped me? When it's hard to trust, I ask, what do I trust about God? Well, you go back to the center of it all. You go back in Scripture to the Gospels. You go back to Jesus. You go back to his claims that he, God become man, lived, taught, 
revealed the kingdom, then went to that cross, was raised from the dead. And you go back to that, I, I, I hope you can, I hope you've come to this point where I, I will entrust myself to that. I don't know if I can trust God for helping me with my kid, but I trust God that he's reconciled me to himself through his son dying and rising. And as we concentrate in the word on the heart of it all, what I find the Holy Spirit does is to take that trust where it's the most secure, where it's the most clear, and begins to move it outward toward the edges, toward the front lines. And there, slowly but surely, the, the trust for everything life, trust the Lord in all your ways, for all these other ways, trust begins to grow. Um, peace begins to get deeper. Hope gets stronger. See what I'm saying? You concentrate on Jesus and soak in his word and promises. It, that, that you could say is sort of the diet of faith. What you're taking in, his promises, his word. Here's a kind of necessary exercising of faith and that's that you step out actively in, in dependence. You, you step into some things that almost demand dependence. It demands faith. It's not that you're not in control, and, and, and so you even step into some things where, well, if God's not in this, then we're in trouble. I feel that way most times I get up in a thing like this. Um, can you step out in faith? Just like we saw with the ancients, they didn't just believe, they stepped out actively entrusting themselves to this God. Because otherwise, faith is dead, it's, as James says, if we don't step out. It gets very practical here, you know? How does your faith show up and how you use your money? It's a step of faith to say, I'm gonna put God first in my budget and first of all, ask him how to manage the whole thing. I'm gonna let Jesus be Lord of my whole, all my finances, and it'll include, I'm, I'm gonna give away something from the top certain proportion, and it takes faith, but that's how faith grows, because you step out, you do it, even if you're kind of nervous about, I don't know if we can, I don't know if I, if my wife and I decide we're going to give away 10% of our money to kingdom causes, I don't know if we can live off 90%. Well, then you begin to discover, I'm doing better on 90% than I did on, with 100% all on my own. So you do practical things like that. You, you, you rearrange your calendar to fit the priorities of what matters the most in life, Christ, his kingdom, and family, and other people, and so on. And then one more move I want to mention is that, and that's that we fix our eyes on Jesus in order to feed our faith by walking alongside faith friends. Faith friends. That's not, it doesn't really show up in Hebrews 11, but back in chapter 10, you, you see the author saying, uh, draw near to God in faith, hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. But then it moves into stir one another up to love and don't stop being together. Don't stop being together, whether it's a couple, three people, a group in your home of a dozen, a couple hundred people in a place like this, don't do it alone. Be with others who have faith and let that rub off on you. You know, a great example of this is in a couple of the Gospels where they're the, the, the guys, don't know how many, but some guys have a friend who's paralyzed. 
And they're just desperate to see this guy get healed by Jesus. So they have their paralyzed friend on a mat. They, they're carrying him. And they try to get to Jesus, but he's teaching in a house that's just crowded with the mob of people. So what are they going to do? Well, out of some ingenuity, out of their compassion for their friend, out of probably some, some guts, they just climb up on the roof, and I don't know what the homeowner thought about this, but they, they break open a hole in the roof. Hope the guy had insurance. But anyway, they, they lower the man down to Jesus, and Jesus, of course, makes the man well, starting with inner healing of forgiveness, but then mending his broken body. But here's what it says. It happens when Jesus saw their faith. When he saw their faith together. I would guess that the paralyzed guy didn't have any faith at all. He's been in this condition for a long time. Nothing's going to help, guys. But together, maybe in different expressions of faith, Jesus saw their faith. I wonder if you've had some, what I like to call, cot carriers in your life. I'll give you an example from, from Darlene and me. 1979, I was 28. It was one of the most intense years of my life. I had just gotten a surprising call to become a so-called senior pastor. Some people laughed about that. 28-year-old kid's a senior pastor. But then, most intensely, our one-year-old, our middle child of three kids, Laura, uh, was diagnosed with a life-threatening blood disease uh, where her blood platelets that cause bleeding, uh, sorry, that cause clotting, were being destroyed by her spleen. And uh, the University Medical Center said, this is chronic, we're gonna have to take out her spleen once she's old enough to do it. Now, the story is that it was a lot of fun to tell a doctor when he said, it's time to, time to schedule that splenectomy, take out the spleen. I said, well, her blood count's normal. And, the, and this doctor from the University Medical Center said, that is impossible. And I said, well, call, call a primary care physician, check it out. But before that happened, there was a good year where it was really scary. We'd, we'd pick up Laura, little, little Laura, and, and just pick her up lightly, and you could see our, our fingerprints because she'd bleed there. And a lot of bruising and so on. It was, it was very scary. And there was one night when she was at her worst, um, and I think we were at our weakest, especially in faith, Still remember it very well. I think we were just there in stunned silence, maybe trying to pray, but have you ever been in the case where you can't pray? Well, the door was unlocked, it's probably a good thing, because eight or nine friends just barged in with a bunch of food and just said, we're here for you. And had some food, they hugged us, and without imposing anything, they, they prayed for us. I call them our cot carriers. They took us to Jesus at a point where we couldn't get to him. 
And it didn't mean that everything was just fine instantly, but I tell you, that very night, there descended upon me a deeper kind of hope and a deeper kind of peace that I still don't know what's going to happen. But I can trust my, uh, my Father. I can trust my Lord that he's with us. He'll get us through this. And from that and countless ways, I've sensed God gently saying so many times, will you trust me? Will you trust me? And helps if I see what he's done in his words, I take him seriously and step out even if I don't feel like it. And it helps so much to be alongside some faith friends. Now let me, let me just close with just, just maybe the best of all the good news here, and that's that I want to say that the living Jesus has faith for us, with us, by the Holy Spirit in us. Jesus has faith. Here's the eternal Son of God, fully divine, somehow becomes fully human. And Jesus on this earth lived by faith in the Father and the Holy Spirit as a man. And that faith was exercised in love. So for example, when you have that desperate dad with the, par- with the uh, demonized boy uh, who, who cries out, I, I believe it, help my unbelief, Jesus has just said, um, everything is possible for one who believes. Well, who's the one? He wasn't just thrusting that on this dad. Jesus is the one. Everything's possible. For God become man, believing for us, trusting for us. And I I love the way Hebrews calls Jesus, he's the pioneer, the perfecter of faith. And he exercises this perfect faith in the Father, again, for us and with us. But there's a sense, friends, there's a sense in which uh, the living Jesus Christ Uh, believes in us. He knows our sins. He knows our lack of trust. He knows our flaws and failings. He knows that. Of course he does. But you see, Jesus believes in you and me. He believes in the you that the Father intended when he decided to bring you into this world. Jesus believes in the you that was worth him sacrificing everything on the cross. The living Lord Jesus believes in you, the you that his spirit gladly indwells as we open our hearts simply to him. And related to that is the author of Hebrews says about these ancients, we can say that Jesus is not ashamed to be called our Lord. It's like God is like a a, a parent who, out of absolute love for a child, just does everything possible to be trustworthy and and, and to draw that child into trust. And, And a parent relishes, relishes when the child very simply 
in various ways demonstrates that in the, in, the, in the heart, the child can say, I trust you, Daddy. I trust you, Mama. Can we say to a father who has held nothing back from us, from a Jesus who held nothing back from us, who the Spirit who indwells us, who gives everything to us, can we say, there's a lot of ways I don't trust you, but, oh, Lord, heart of my hearts, I trust you. And maybe for the first time, or in some fresh way, I say, I entrust myself to you. Let's take a moment to pray. Invite the worship team to come up. Just take a moment and fix your, the eyes of your heart on Jesus. Say what you need to say. Listen to his still, small voice. Acknowledge ways that, that you want to grow in faith, you need to grow in trust. Maybe part of your prayer is, Lord, I believe, but today, please help my unbelief. I trust you, but help me where I don't trust. Just take, take a moment of silence with him and, and then we'll move into a song that gets our eyes fixed on Jesus. Jesus.